Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clean. Let's say you just bought a house. Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company, affiliates, and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. Welcome, everyone, to episode 252 of the NBA podcast. I'm Brian Toporek, and today my very stable genius of a co-host, Morton Jensen, is taking a bit of a leave. He, As you guys know, he just had a new baby, so he is rightfully taking some time off to hang out with the new fam, get everyone together. In the meantime, I am joined today by a very special guest, Mo Dakil, uh, a former NBA video coordinator. You can, well, Mo, I'm going to intro to you. Where, where can our listeners find you and find your work? Where can they find you on Twitter? And where can they find your work? Uh, the, first off, hi, Brian. Thanks for having me on. <laughs> for sure. Uh, the, uh, huh. You can follow me on Twitter, Mo Dakil. Dakil. Wow. I literally <laughs> had a conversation with Brian before this started about the pronunciation of my last name, and I just screwed it up. Uh, you can follow me on Twitter at Mo Dakil, M O D A K H I L underscore NBA. Um, and I post all that I do there. Uh, I do freelance work. I have stuff with Bleacher Report with the Washington Post. I have some interesting stuff on my website thejumpball.net not too many new things on there lately but uh, you can find all my stuff basically just by following me on Twitter yes and really you guys should follow Mo on Twitter if you aren't already you should be Uh, he posts some of the best video breakdowns and like clip I mean goes through games comprehensively and the playoffs especially you were killing it Um, you'll learn a lot from following Mo, so please follow him on Twitter. And Mo, really, I, I want to start with going into your background a little bit because I think most of us out there just don't have all that much experience with what an NBA video coordinator does. You know, we we know you now, and we know the other prominent scout man out there who's made a name for himself, either good or bad, in the past few months. But, you know, we know you guys are really good at breaking down clips, of course. But uh, what went into your day-to-day job? You were with the Clippers and the Spurs. So what was a day-to-day with those teams like for you? Yeah, uh, the thing everybody kind of does not understand about being a video coordinator is that it is a 24-7 job. It requires a ton of work. You're in the film room for pretty much large chunks of the day like most people have a regular eight hour job you know they're in their cubicle or their office or or whatnot uh and then they kind of go home and for the most part get to chill out (laughs) not really the case for us uh video coordinators are doing things from preparing 
film for our upcoming opponents. We're preparing, you know, going through our own games and looking for different things, you know, whatever the coaches are asking for. Preparing for a film that we're going to show before practice, film that we coaches might show individual players. We're preparing uh, stuff for our front office guys in terms of the draft. And, you know, if they're going on a scouting trip and they, they might not uh, have fully watched those guys, we're preparing film for the guys that they might go see. It's, it's just constant stuff. And then there's always random projects that come flying along. So, you know, it's, uh, man, you're just watching a ton, a ton of games. And then you're on the court during practice helping out there. And, you know, it's the mail room to be, to work your way up in the NBA industry, whether it's the front office or the, the coaching side, you know, just cause by sitting in there, you, you really have to try hard to not learn something about the game <laughs> by watching as many games as you end up watching. You know, I, you know, in, in the days when I was a video coordinator, people used to just try to say to me like, Oh man, I watch basketball just as much as you. I'm like, bro, <laughs> like no offense. <laughs> But I've watched four games today. How many have you watched? And this is before five in L.A. time. So, you know, games haven't even really started to come on in L.A. You know, at this point, I'm like, how many games have you watched? How many games did you watch last night? Oh, you just watched the Lakers. Oh, okay. <laughs> you know, I just watched Orlando Philly. I just watched, and this is when these teams weren't very good. Right. You, know, I, <laughs> you know, I just watched, you know, Milwaukee Phoenix. Like, like I can run off all these things. Like, you're, I get you're a fan. And that's great, but it's like, it's a very different. And, you know, there are times where I'll get calls, you know, at 9 o'clock at night you know, where a coach says, hey, I want this ready, you know, to show the guys by tomorrow morning. And it's like, cool, okay, I was going to get to the office at 7. I guess I'll just get there at 5 now. You know, and it's it's, it's just the way these things go. So it's, uh, it's a 24-7 job. You're constantly doing things. You've... You try to squeeze in time where you can chill out and, and relax, but it's hard, and it's a very difficult one, but also very rewarding. Uh, I usually try to scare people off first before I tell them <laughs> the good stuff because um, it's a taxing job. It takes it, You basically don't have a social life, but mm -hmm. you know the rewarding side of it is like if you want to coach, if you want to be in the front office and you're not a former player or have those types of connections, you know th this is the best way in, and you, you just learn a ton. I wouldn't be able to do the stuff I do on Twitter or get the opportunities I now I now get you know to, to write on Bleacher Report at the Washington Post uh, if it wasn't for the work I did in the video room. So you know there's there's a lot that goes with it. Like any job, it has pros and cons. For sure. Yeah. Um, so I want to talk about kind of the difference between regular season and playoffs because you know we hear a lot about that just during the regular season, you don't have as much time to prepare for an individual opponent. So you kind of run the same scheme throughout, whereas in the playoffs, it's the same opponent every time. You can really hone your game plan for that opponent. Um, at, for video coordinators, is there much of a difference in terms of preparation for those for just a regular season game versus a playoff series? Oh, it's completely night and day. It's a whole different thing. So when we're preparing for an opponent, you know, we're looking at five games out. So if I'm with the Clippers and we're playing at the Lakers, I'm looking at the five games they're playing before they play us. And that's mm. it, really. I might go back and look at the games we've played against them at this point in the season just to make see what we did well, what worked, what didn't work. You know, what do we want to try to replicate? What do we not want to do again? 
So, you know, you just kind of have that sort of stuff. When you're going through preparing for an opponent for the playoffs, I mean, man, I'm going through everything. I'm looking to see what teams swept them in the season series or who had success against them during the season. You know, what what can we take away from that? And I'm looking for those types of things. Obviously looking at every game we played against them. I'm looking at all their close games. I'm looking at every possible thing I can possibly think of. And it could be the most minute detail. You know, they ran this side out of bounds 25 times. I need to make sure I have all 25 times they ran it to make sure we got it covered. You know, and we're not going to show the players all of this stuff, but we, I want to make sure on my end as a video guy, I have it in case somebody asks for it. So, you know, it's a very different type of uh, preparation. And, you know, you touched on it. You just don't have time in the regular season to do that. You know, we're playing games on back-to-back nights. We're playing three and four nights. We're on the road. We're doing all of these things. It's just something that's not easy to do that on a night-to-night basis. And it's not fair to ask the players of that, mm-hmm. the players to, to be able to, okay, we're going to completely change the game plan for this game on Monday, and then we're going to do something entirely different on Wednesday. You know, it's just not a, it's not fair in the regular season to do that. In the playoffs, it's expected to be prepared for that, and, and that's something you go through as a team, you know, kind of getting ready for. I always kind of look at the regular season as a great way to put in your philosophy, put in everything you, you want to work on and have ready for the playoffs, but kind of have your core principles intact. And then the playoffs comes, and that's when you're kind of – you're almost willing to even throw some of those things out the window – Right, to, right. to take advantage of an opponent. And that's something that, you, you know, that's the difference. I, I look at it more as like playoffs is kind of the way an NFL team prepares for uh, one of their regular season games. You know, they're, mm-hmm. they get one week to prepare for a team. You know, you, you got to have everything covered at that point. So mm-hmm. I kind of think that's the way I look at the playoffs because, yeah, you're going to change your scheme in the playoffs. You're still going to try to stay within your core principles, but you're going to change things as well, and you have to be willing to change uh, unless you feel like you're the very, very best and don't have to worry about that. But that's still few, few teams that can actually do that. So that's kind of the biggest difference, I'd say. Um, but it's definitely night and day. It's not the same. Yeah, it's really interesting because I was actually, to do a quick cross-sport comparison, I was reading a column today from, I think it was Charles Robinson of Yahoo Sports, where he was talking about, he went to like the LA Rams camp and was talking with Sean McVay about the Super Bowl. And Sean McVay was saying like, basically we prepared for the Patriots to do X. And then, you know, we watched a bunch of film. We saw their biggest tendencies and then they came out and did something that we hadn't seen on film before. Like we were not prepared for this. So it sounds kind of similar to what you're saying with NBA teams in the playoffs where, you know, they, yes, you've seen the Milwaukee Bucks play drop coverage all year, but if you're going against an opponent where you can't exploit that as much, all of a sudden you have to, okay, maybe we have to change up our defense a little bit. Yeah, and, you know, something that's kind of different between the NFL and the NBA, you know, in the playoffs, okay, if they do something different in game one, you still have games two, three, and four to figure out how to attack that. Right. You know, in the NFL, like Sean McVay said, they did something entirely different in the Super Bowl. There is no other game after that. And I want, I'm want i a Rams guy. I wanted yeah. them to win. So, uh, But there's no preparation. You don't get to kind of change uh, a new scheme in that situation, right? You don't get to go to game two 
Whereas sure. in the NBA, you do. So, you know, there are times where we put in an entire game plan in for game one and got our brains beat in, and then you go back to the locker room going, you just throw out that plan. Right. <laughs> We're not doing any of this again. <laughs> and, and, and back to the drawing board. So, you know, it's, but you have that opportunity in that situation in the playoffs to at least try to change things. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I think that's what makes the playoffs so entertaining from an NBA perspective is that it is such a chess match, and you really do see those game-to-game schematic changes, whether, you know, as a Sixers guy, I'm thinking of like the Brooklyn Nets series in the first round where they get cooked in game one, all of a sudden you put Ben Simmons on D'Angelo Russell. It's an entirely different series. Just as one example of something that, you know, we, we saw throughout this past playoffs. But so when you're in the playoffs, when you're in the heat of the battle, how do you decide between this is a one game fluke and we believe in our principles or, oh, this is a terrible game plan. We need to rethink this. The real, the, the hardest thing to figure out, more than anything else, is this a one game fluke or whatnot. Is did we execute it? Mm. You know, like the hardest thing is the coach is saying, "Well, look, I don't even know if this works because we didn't execute it right." Yeah, you know, like these guys, they didn't under, we didn't teach it right. The guys didn't understand it clearly, or whatnot. Whatever have may have been the problem. But that, that, that becomes a challenge. So it's like everybody wants a big change from game one to game two. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, sometimes the change comes after game two because you need to see, did it work? And part of the problem could be like, we didn't execute it because we're not capable of it. And that's what the coach has to recognize. But sometimes you need that second game to really see it. So I think that's kind of one of the bigger things that leads to, is this a fluke or whatnot? You know, there are nights where I'm going to leave this guy open because he's a poor three-point shooter. And then he has a game where he shoots the piss out of the ball. And you're just like, well, what the hell, man? You know, and then you have to, you have to decide, well, do we, do we close out or do we stay with this thinking he can't do it for game two, mm-hmm. you know? And, and that's something that's always a hard conversation and you got to figure out uh, what you're going to do in that situation. It's, it's never easy and it's never cut and dry. I love all the, secondhand coaching we get on twitter and i'm i'm guilty of it too right you know of of saying like well i would have done this i would have done that i you know some of it's just a matter of like yo they really believe this is the right way to do this and they maybe they just don't think they execute i think a great example was how the jazz defended Harden in in the playoffs this year you know they and i actually kind of agreed with them staying with it They, they went a little bit too extreme with it but they also weren't in the right positions on the weak side, mm-hmm. which is what really hurt them. You know, it wasn't that the idea was flawed. It was their execution was flawed. Mm-hmm. And then on the flip side, too, I was, you know, when they started to do it and ga- continue to do it in game three and four, and everybody's like, they got to get out of it. I'm like, no, it's actually working. So the bigger problems right now is just what's going on on the offensive end. Right. It just looks so radical and so different. You know, and mind you that the Bucks had did it and succeeded in doing it. The, the Jazz also didn't necessarily have the same personnel that could do it. You know, it, it didn't look good when Rubio was on him, right. but it looked good when Exum was on him. Yeah. And they were able to rotate on the weak side. when they got Once they got that kind of stuff down correctly, it looked a lot better. But that's one of those things. It's a great example of just like, hey, we're staying with it because we believe this is the way we can do it. We just got to execute it better. And, and again, sometimes it's, sometimes coaches are stubborn. The other thing people have to understand, too, like, why don't they change this or why don't they change that? It's because they're stubborn. Right. You know, you, you became a head coach because you're a stubborn person. 
Yeah. Period. <laughs> like you have your way. This is how you're gonna do it. This is what you're gonna stay with. You're. It's it's something that just happens. So you know, and also it's a lot easier for us to see it, and for them to see it when they're on the inside. It's a whole different view of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's and, and you're sitting there. Sometimes you're like, man, if he could just get to that spot, we we got it. You know, and it's just like <laughs> we just have to practice on getting to that spot. Right. And you know, sometimes the coach can't realize like, yo, he's just not capable of getting to that spot. Um, and you have to recognize that. And and that's what makes coaching so damn hard. Yeah, that, no, that makes total sense. I was, I, that is what immediately jumped to mind as well for me. The, the Houston series as well, where it's just like it, as you said, it looked so radical. You just hadn't really seen anything like that in a whole playoff series before, but even by games three and four, as you said, they, they did start to look a little bit better. I I think I even remember there was a quote after I either game one or game two or one of the players just said like we haven't bought in all the way but once we do this could actually work yeah and buy-in is the most important thing in coaching mm-hmm. you know that's something i try to impress on people uh you got to be able to get the players to buy in there's a great book called uh uh chuck daily wisdom i think that's the name of the book uh on a funny side note this was always one of those side projects you would get as a video coordinator. Uh, Coach Vinny Del Negro, uh, who I love to death and think he should at least get another shot at coaching, um, would uh, have me he'd, – he'd read a book and highlight passages in books, and then basically I would have to write – take down the notes oh, you wow. know, and stuff <laughs> like that. So it was cool because there was this book of da- uh, Chuck Daly Wisdoms, and – you know, he had a quote in there. I kind of go back and read it every now and then, These the, the passages. I need to go read the book, uh, Stop Being Lazy. But he had a passage in there. As a coach, <laughs> you're always selling. You're mm-hmm. always selling. you got to sell the players on why this is the right game plan. you got to sell them on why they got to sacrifice this many shots or why they got to take this many and that guy gets to take this many. you got to sell your, your owners and your front office on your game plan and why this is the right way to go. You know, you're always selling. Getting buy-in is the hardest thing to get as mm-hmm. a coach. But when you get that, it's a whole. it opens up a whole world for you. You know, and it allows you, when the players trust you, and they trust that this you think this is the best way to do it, then they're just going to go do it. You're, you're on a great position to, as a coach to really kind of get something going great. You know, we have seen coaches with great buy-in over the years and we've seen some that don't get it and we'll say oh that's a bad coach i go like well that's just a bad salesman Mm. and now now part of it you can argue as chuck daly would is that's part of the job you got to sell it uh and so that's a great quote and you're right i can't remember who said it uh because i I do remember that quote of like we just haven't bought in yet Mm -hmm. i'm like man it's the playoffs dude y'all better buy in right now (laughs) um you better you better start buying um but at the same time too you saw Harden's numbers weren't that good Right. In games three and four, you know, again, I just I think at a certain point it just became a problem with the Utah's offense more than their defense. Right. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles. Now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Let's say you just bought a house. 
Bad news is, you're one step closer to becoming your parents. You'll proudly mow the lawn. Ask if anybody noticed you mowed the lawn. Tell people to stay off the lawn. Compare it to your neighbor's lawn. And complain about having to mow the lawn again. Good news is, it's easy to bundle home and auto through Progressive and save on your car insurance. Which, of course, will go right into the lawn. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discount not available in all states or situations. So... We've heard this a lot with the analytics crowd about trying to avoid information overload. Like you you could I mean, especially now, there is just so much that you can get to that, you know, that you have some Shane Battier types who just eat it up, who just want every single thing. Which hand does this player favor? Where do they take their shots? And then there are other guys who just they don't want to have all of that information because they just don't want to overthink it. How do you as a video coordinator kind of relay that to the coach and is is that in your purview to kind of avoid that stuff or is, do you just kind of dump it all on the coach and say like here's the most important stuff here's what we can kind of you know leave out for the players who don't necessarily want all of this information it's all dependent on the coach video coordinator relationship okay. you know there's a level of trust like when i was in san antonio i was partnered with brett brown uh, which is also how I got to go to Australia a bunch of times for, for the Olympics. The he, he had a trust with me, and it took a while to develop it. Well, once he trusted me, he knew I'm giving him everything I think is important. And then he would let me kind of pull a few plays where I thought, like, yo, this is interesting. Or if there was something very, like, just random that I wanted to make sure he was aware of, he would spend time to take a look at it. Mm-hmm. You know, because he trusted it. And that's a trust thing. And there are times where uh, a great example, and this is going to sound kind of egotistical a little bit because it toots my horn. <laughs> um, you know, but the we were playing, preparing for the Lakers. And, you know, this is San Antonio Lakers. This is a rivalry at this point. And Kobe, there's a play where, you know, and this is a Phil Jackson Lakers. So they're running the triangle, and Kobe would come off the cut and post up a bunch. And I had noticed, like, a couple games before, like teams were getting so prepared for that cut of him coming off this screen, they would cheat it and just basically drop right away. And Kobe would recognize that, fake that, and then pop back out and get a open jumper. And so, you know, it happened once. I was like, oh, that's interesting. You know, and it only happened once in that game. It happens, you know, a couple games later I watch, I see him do it again. And so, like, I pull these two clips and basically I run to Brett and I go, coach, I need you to look at these two plays. Like, we're talking about doing this. This is Kobe countering that. And then him and I, have we have to have that conversation. Well, is this a read or is this a play call? You know, and I kind of, I, I came on the end of like, I think this is a read. I think Kobe's just seen where the defense is, and he knows to pop back. Now, they might have talked about it, and, you know, they're, they're ready to counter these kinds of things. So the, the Lakers are aware of how teams play them so that Kobe kind of sees that and he's going to pop back, but I don't think it's a play call. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we, we kind of agree on it, but Brett's aware of it. We include it in our scouting video for, for him to show to the guys pregame. And, you know, we beat the Lakers by eight, but Kobe did it twice in that game, and we stopped him both times. You know, mm-hmm. I get a phone call from Brett saying, bro, that's – did you see it? Like, he's excited. Did you see yeah. it? Did you see it? We stopped it. This is great, you know. <laughs> And I'm pumping my chest out because I stopped four. I got us. I saved us four points, which in close games, you know, that's the whole, the whole ball game sometimes. So um, it's a relationship thing. So 
being able to know how much I can give a coach and, and, mm-hmm. and him knowing I'm not holding back anything or if I think something's fluff, he's not going to worry too much about it. And there are times I'm sure I've gotten it wrong and vice versa. And I think, you know, the overload thing comes on both ends. I think as a coach, when you're showing pregame film or, or pre-practice film, how much film you're showing, you know, one thing I kind of appreciated about Doc was we didn't even, we had the best film room in the video, in, in the, in the Clippers, uh, in the NBA, in our Clippers practice facility. It was a sweet little theater. Like, I used to go in there just to watch games or whatever. <laughs> like, I used, you know, um, I wasn't a video gamer, but if you were, like, this would have been the perfect place to play oh, a video yeah. game. <laughs> kind of thing. And Doc just basically was like, I know we got this room, but we're only showing these guys three or four clips. And we would just set up a projector and put it on the wall. And then the guys would go straight to practice. Like, he's not trying to overload his guys with film. you got to be careful. As much as with analytics – you can do the same thing of just giving them way too much film mm-hmm. and kind of kill them too much. It's a paralysis by analysis kind of thing. And, you know, at a certain point, you just got to trust your guys to go do the, go do the job. For sure. No, that makes total sense. I uh, might have overloaded y'all with that answer. Damn. No, no, that was good. <laughs> I, like, this is the kind of insight that we don't have because we just, you know, have no experience in an NBA organization. So I think it's cool to hear these kind of behind the scenes, like, what goes into preparing a team to play not only in the playoffs, but even in the regular season. Cause you know, you, you guys have the insights. Like when Jim Boylan was coming under fire earlier this year, after taking over the bulls, like you guys have more experience with, well, like this is what he's going through in this transition than, you know, every everyday blogger who has never been in an NBA organization before. So I, I mean, I'm only one person, but I hope our listeners out there are also appreciative of this kind of insight because I think it's really cool. Sweet. What do we got next? (laughs) I would be remiss because you brought up Brett Brown. I would be remiss not to ask about him uh, because, you know, he was the subject of throughout the playoffs, especially a lot of speculation about whether he would be back with the Sixers this next year and all the players kind of were very steadfast in their exit interview saying like, that's garbage he should definitely be back so just tell me about brett how how is he as a coach and working with him just from you know from externally it just seems like he's a really good guy and it seems like the players love him but was your experience any different no brett's phenomenal uh coach brown is great uh i was getting very annoyed with the we should fire him kind of things now now, part of it was I thought some of the roster was flawed, and yes. that's not really his fault as much as, you know, you want to look at the front office in that situation. But, you know, there are times where coaches kind of make mistakes or whatnot, but he's a teacher by nature. Mm-hmm. He's the son of two teachers. This is something, you know, it's been well documented. Um, and I got to meet his dad a bunch in Australia because he would come with us for Australia because his dad's also uh, – unbelievable high school coach in Vermont. I'm pretty sure he's retired at this point. Um, but uh, he would come and you would see kind of the nature of Brett's very much a teacher all the way to like, he was teaching me, you know, he was, he was upset with me in one, in one of our early film sessions in Australia. Cause I didn't say a word, mm. you know, in one of the coaching sessions, you know, when, when we sit down as coaches and, you know, he kind of pulled me aside and said, look, man, you're in here. You're watching all the film. You got to talk. Like, I don't care. He's like, I'm just going to tell you now. 80% of your ideas are going to be terrible. (laughs) 
but he's like, but your twenty percent of ideas are gonna be great, right? You know, and and I need that twenty percent from you because you're gonna be the only one that can come up with that twenty percent. Yeah, you know, and you and and this is good for you because you'll learn when to talk and when not to, and what's a good idea and what's not, and you'll start to kind of figure things out. And it was sometimes even as, as simple as like, you know, we were talking about our pregame plan, our, our our game day sort of plan. Um, not even on the court, but just overall, we're going to do breakfast at this time, shoot around at this time, we're going to get on the bus, we're going to go play the game, you know, the evening game or whatever, we'll have dinner back at the hotel or whatever, and they had lunch organized at noon, and then we're going to leave at three, and I just kind of looked at the guys, and I was just like, does anybody not see the problem with the schedule? They're like, what are you talking about? I'm like, we're going to eat at noon, and then ask these guys to play a game at seven, but we're not going to provide them any, any food in between? You know, I said, like, they're going to get hungry. And to be honest, and this is the honest truth, I was mainly thinking of myself. Because <laughs> I was like, I'm going to need something to eat at 3, 4 o'clock or something before I go to the game. Um, and, you know, right. that was one of my great ideas, you know, and that became a thing. Uh, before a game uh, in the Olympics, you know, Brett's trying to figure out what we should run. And I just kind of looked at him and I said, hey, man, I go, you know what play would actually be great to start out with is let's, let's run a wedge for – for uh, Matthew Nielsen, who was our captain at that point, you know, I think that's going to be a good setup for him, you know, and, and, and Brett just looks at me and goes, no, you're right. Perfect. Go. We're going to run wedge. And, you know, we score out of that. And it's, you know, it's just one of those things where it's like, he allows you that environment to talk. Everybody Mm -hmm. felt comfortable in that situation just by being a teacher in nature. I think he's a great coach. I think he's great in relationships with the guys and kind of talking down to talking to them, not down to them, sorry, Mm -hmm. but talking to them and, and, and developing relationships. I think that's where he's phenomenal. And I think that's really where, you know, he's special as a coach. And I think, that's something you can't really replicate. You can replace him, but I don't, it's going to take a while for a coach to kind of come in and, and figure it out. And let's be honest, that was a difficult ass team to coach. Yeah. You know, Jimmy Butler is a fireball. Uh, Joel Embiid's, you know, uh, a fireball and can be a problem at times. You know, you have JJ Redick who can be a little bit uh, difficult at times. You know, he's a great guy, but you know, there's, there's that, you know, you have that, Simmons and Bede relationship you got to work around and things like that like that's a difficult situation when people are like yo you got to fire Brett he's not good enough I'm right. like yo any other coach this thing's on fire right. the locker room is going to look like Lord of the Flies all of a sudden <laughs> so you know I don't think he gets enough credit for that yeah and I think that's something that matters and I think you know I obviously I'm biased there's no question about it I, I love Brett to death but um I think, you know, there's a level of like, yo, you guys got to be understanding of what the situation is. Now, he's got to produce this year. Sure. Uh, that's the expectations. You know, you. I think it was unfair or it was like, if he doesn't win game seven, he's getting, he doesn't make right. it to the Eastern Conference Finals, he's fired. Like, this is a damn good Toronto team he's playing. Right. Like, what are, you, what are we talking about here? Yeah. Like, you know, you got here, you know, and everybody went, everybody went ballistic when they lost game one to Brooklyn. It was like, oh, my God. They're going to lose this series. Da, 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 da. I was just like, man, it's just game one. Relax. Yeah. You know, and then they won four straight. Like, they, nobody gives them credit for the four, you know, for that. I know. Yeah. Nobody gave them credit for going up 2-1 against Toronto when everybody was throwing them for dead after game one in that series, too. So, you know, I think there's a level of, like, unfairness in how we treat coaches in general. Mm-hmm. And I don't know if this is a, a, a Sixers thing or whatnot or the fan base, but Sometimes I feel like there's a bit of an unfairness in how they treat Brett 
and I go like, you're not going to find a guy that exhibits blue collar Sixers culture the way he does. And he facilitates cultures. He finds it and he creates a good environment for guys. So I think that's something, you know, I, God, I can do this whole podcast. <laughs> um, I should be his agent, right. you know, Please Brent, do. cut me a check. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but yeah, I just, I can't, st- he, he's great. And, you know, sometimes it's just, sometimes it's hard. Sometimes the teams aren't built right and you have a tough situation. And sometimes, you know, he might make mistakes. There were times where I, I had questions of some of his rotation decisions. Mm-hmm. But I'm also not in the locker room, in the practices, and seeing what he sees. Yeah, for sure. No, I mean, I, I think, as you said, I do think part of it is just, overreactionary from Philly in general, just because that's no one would ever say Philly fans are rational, clear headed people when discussing their sports teams. I think that's fair. I, I, I will own up to that. <laughs> you definitely talked me off the ledge after that first Brooklyn game where I was like, this is what I was afraid of. They have so many shooters. I knew I was terrified of them. And you're like, dude, just chill. And, and you were very right. So I appreciate you from three months ago, saving me a lot of sanity then. <laughs> Uh, but no, I, I think you raise a really good point about, look, like on court acumen is only part of a coach's job. And like, that's the part that we can see. So I think that's what gets criticized the most or rewarded the most. But I, I mean, again, I, I don't, I'm not in the Sixers locker room, but like, it was very clear just from exit interviews, how much the players really like him and respect him. And it doesn't seem like it's uh you know this guy takes it easy on us so that's why we like him kind of thing like he doesn't make us one run wind sprints and suicides like Jim Boylan so that's why we want to keep him around it just it genuinely seems like he has made a good connection with those players and I think you're right I mean just the way he has built that culture from the ground up like look back to 2013 when they traded away basically all of their rotation players and were playing a G League team. And you could still see him starting to create the foundation of what this team would be built around. We were, we're going to play fast. We're going to shoot threes. We're going to play good defense. And they couldn't perform it well because they, again, mostly had a G League caliber roster. But you, you definitely saw this was coming at some point once they had the talent to actually perform it. It's just like set the foundation first. This is the style of play we're doing. And then the talent will come in due time. Yeah, and I think for the players, and this will be my last thing I'll say about Brett, um, I think he allows feedback from them. Mm. And I think that's something you don't get from a lot of coaches. Mm -hmm. You know, I think he's willing to listen to guys, hear them out, and then if he agrees with them, he'll go with it. And if he doesn't, he'll tell them why he doesn't agree with them. Whereas I think we have a lot of coaches sometimes in the NBA that are like, nope. Don't want to hear it. Just do what I tell you to do, and that's that. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something that, especially nowadays, with the way kind of players are, I think this is more of a conducive style in the in the way games are, the way people are now. I think it's a collaborative environment is the right word I'm looking for. And I think, you know, they there was that whole thing where Jimmy Butler was yelling at Brett in a film session or, or, or whatnot. Mm-hmm. And it was, you know, knowing Brett, and I think Brett even said it in a podcast or Jimmy said it somewhere or something. Brett asked him the question. Right, right. And you have to be prepared for the response. Yeah. You know, I always joke with a friend of mine, you know, I, when I was looking for a job at one point, 
and I was getting really frustrated. And I said, like, dude, like, I just want to email them going like, yo, what's the deal? <laughs> you know, do, 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 what's the story here? And he's like, he's like, but are you prepared for the response of like, we just don't think you're good enough or you suck? Yeah. You know, like, <laughs> you, if, if you're going to ask the question, you have to be prepared for those answers. Right. And I think that's something that Jimmy appreciated from Brett. As, I mean, it kind of played out in the media of like Brett lost control of the, the locker room and look how bad Jimmy is. But sometimes that's just the way these things go. And then I want to highlight one thing. Kevin Arnovitz wrote a great article. God, I want to say it was this past season or, or, or it was last year. I'll, I'll try to search for it and, and find it and, and retweet it when we tweet this out. Um, but an article just about all the things coaches have to go through. Mm. You know, like you said, it's not just on the court. You mm. know, there's relationships in the locker room. And it's like any other place. This guy doesn't like this guy. This, these guys got to, you know, you got to figure out who's doing what. And, you know, this guy doesn't want to work with this coach or this trainer or things like you got a whole lot of things that you got to prepare for. And then you got to meet with the front office about stuff. And there's, you know, a potential of a trade or a signing or something. And you got to be aware of that. You got to check and see what's going on in the video room. Are they getting things done? There's just so many things that go into it that we don't even know about. Mm-hmm. You, 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 that really affects you. And I think that's something it's funny when I talk to uh, assistant coaches who get their first chance coaching a summer league team, mm. you know, and they're like, damn, every decision runs through me. Right. Like what time the buses leave? You know, what time are we having breakfast and meeting? What time, you know, what are we doing tomorrow? Like every decision comes down to me. He's like, and, and as an assistant, you would think they'd be aware of it, but you're not until you're in that position. Mm-hmm. And for us as fans, we don't even have a concept of that idea. <laughs> right. Right? Like, right. it doesn't even occur to us to think about that. Yeah. You know, how much film am I going to show? Oh, we got our butts kicked last night. Do I need to go hard at them tonight, or do I need to coddle them a little bit and build them back up? You know, there's a whole different level of things. And, you know, it's what you do is going to affect, you know, players moods and how they respond to it and things there's just so many things that go into it it's not just on the court's great you we all want our coaches to be on the court geniuses Mm -hmm. right but it's like you know what they might not be great at that but they need to be good at it you know they need to be able to help you in those situations but they got to be great in other areas if that's the case you know and that's and sometimes that's the stuff you're not going to see right um and i think that's what we get wrong a lot with coaches. Yeah, I mean, look at Brad Stevens. And this podcast wouldn't be complete without some sort of Celtics slander. But, you know, like a year ago, Brad Stevens gets the Celtics to within a game of the finals. Everyone's running the polls like, who would you rather take, Brad Stevens or any player in the NBA? And then this past season, we see, yeah, sure, he's he is a great on-court tactician. I don't think anyone's disputing that. But clearly something went wrong in that Celtics locker room and he has taken some responsibility. It's not, of course, all his fault. There was a lot of turmoil. Stevens is a, Stevens is a good example though of, you know, I thought he was a good coach. I liked him. You know, when everybody was going nuts about him and praising Mm -hmm. him, you know, I thought he was a good coach. When everybody was killing him this past year, I still thought he was a good coach. I go, I just didn't think, I don't think he was – I think we got too excited yeah. and then we got too low too quick. Yeah. I think we. It's, it's in the middle somewhere. I just think it's one of those things where we're just so quick to jump on coaches right away. Uh, mm-hmm. The stuff where I feel like, okay, you can tell a dude's questionable as a coach is if 
when they get fired. Um, I'm going to take a shot here at Mark Jackson. I'm sorry. Mark Jackson gets fired. The Warriors essentially have the same team they come back. They, they bring back with Steve Kerr. And he was loved by the players. Steph mm-hmm. loved him. Mm-hmm. All that stuff. Mm-hmm. And Mark Jackson had a lot of problems. you know. Um, but they essentially brought back the same team. And they go win a championship last year. Right. Well, that's coaching. Yeah. That's yeah. coaching. You brought in the same team. It's the same thing with the Lakers in 99. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. uh, Del Harris gets let go of a coach. Rambis coaches the rest of the year. They bring in Phil Jackson, bring back the same roster, win the next three championships. Right. You know, right. that's coaching. And part of it is the guys respected Phil more. They gave him more respect because he came from coaching Jordan and all these things. And I understand that. But that's something you know. There was something Del Harris was missing mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. Phil Jackson brought in. Doesn't mean Del Harris is a bad coach. Might not be the wasn't the right coach for this team. And and you can say the same thing about Bart Jackson, although I have a different opinion of him. Um, but maybe he's a good coach, you know. And and this just was he took the team as far as he could. Mm-hmm. That mm-hmm. that happens. And I think sometimes that's the case. We got to watch with it. And with the Brad Stevens yo-yo over the past two years <laughs> where he was the greatest thing since sliced bread right. and now he's right. a he's a rotten piece of bread it's a it's like yo he's still a good coach yeah it's just yeah. that situation last year wasn't good and i don't think any coach really would have done a great job with that team no yeah it seemed like that that situation was beyond repair and i i think the celtics i mean i, I made fun of them this summer for their whole like Ennis Cantor was our plan A. Mm, okay, sure it was. But I do think they're going to be better. Just, you know, addition by subtraction in the locker room chemistry department. He was their third plan A. <laughs> right, exactly. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729-811. Select styles. Excludes in-store clearance well since you brought up the lakers i want to mention you wrote a really good column at bleacher report late uh recently about the lakers defense in particular and whether frank vogel can help turn that around because he was so good during his indiana days um you know based on your experience in la especially you know the whole battle of la thing is it's always the lakers and then the clippers of the side note and this year we'll see if that happens but Let's talk about the Lakers for a second because they have made, they struck out on Kawhi Leonard, of course, but they did bring in their plan B, as it were, was actually pretty good. You get a bunch of shooters around LeBron. You have Anthony Davis still. You have DeMarcus Cousins. What do you think the key is for their defense in particular? Uh, Because, you know, they have this plan now. Chris Haynes reported earlier in July that LeBron's going to be the point guard. So in theory that actually opens up some interesting lineup possibilities for them. Yeah. 
the to start out, the LeBron's going to be a point guard. Like, what was he before all this? <laughs> Effectively, a point guard. I mean, like, I the only thing, even if it's a nominal positional change, if it means that Rajon Rondo is not starting alongside him, I think that genuinely does is a big deal. Yeah, and I think that was the plan. I think yeah. all along. I don't think Rondo is a starting caliber point guard in this league anymore. I think he mm-hmm. can be good off the bench, but I don't think that's his, situ- his situation now. And I think with uh, with the injuries that they had last year, it just ended up having to happen that way. Also, right. mind you, if they end up starting Alex Caruso, they're screwed. Yeah. <laughs> right. Like, I'm, I, I, Laker fans love the kid. That's fine. Great. Yo, he ain't going to make a difference one way or the other. Yeah, um, yeah. But defensively, what they need more than anything else, and it goes back to what we talked about, they need buy-in. Mm-hmm. LeBron has to play defense every time he's on the court. It's yeah. not a, this can't be an if thing. This can't be, I take plays off. I know what to do. I have no doubt LeBron knows where he's supposed to be on the court. And then there are games where he takes it, plays off. Problem is, when you do that, it affects the rest of your team. And you have a mm-hmm. new team now. You guys need to build that defensive chemistry. You know, we always talk about offensive chemistry and knowing where guys are on the court and when to make the pass and whatnot. You need that on the defensive end, too. You need to know when you have to rotate. You need to know when a guy's in trouble and when you got to slide over. And when you slide over, you need to know that the guy behind you has your back and he's going to cover you and so on and so forth. That's defense moving like on a string. And what happens when LeBron doesn't do that Somebody else goes makes that rotation, and you build this habit. And then what happens in the playoff when LeBron decides to start playing defense again? When he goes to make that rotation, the guy who's built that habit of covering for LeBron is now mm-hmm. going to make the same rotation, and you have nobody covering the weak side at that point. And then you're screwed. And now you have two guys making the rotation, and a good passer is going to be able to find the guy on the weak side and make you pay. So, you know, Vogel's first thing is he's got to get buy-in. And mm-hmm. listen LeBron doesn't need to play 82 games. Like, if I'm Vogel, and listen, I'm not a coach. I'm not in the league anymore, all that stuff. So we can say whatever you want. It's a lot easier for me to say this, you know, sitting in my uh, palatial estate in the Valley. (laughs) You know, the, uh, uh, you know, but Vogel's got to go to him and say, like, look, man, you got to do this. This isn't Mm -hmm. a a sometime thing. You got to do this every time so that we get everything right. It goes back to, this way he knows if there's something they need to change defensively, it's not, well, LeBron's just going to make the rotation in the playoffs and we're fine. Right. If it's not, this way he knows what's working and what's not. And if he needs to tweak something, he needs to be able to see it first. And that's something that matters. And, you know, if LeBron's going to take plays off, I'd rather he just take games off. Mm-hmm. Cool. You don't feel like you can go to full, give me a full effort this game? No problem, man. Sit back, relax. You know, chill out. Right, right. We'll, we'll, we're fine tonight, you know. And, and, you know, you need a certain number of games under your belt to build that chemistry. But, you know, there are times where you can give him some rest and, and, and pockets of opportunity. So I think that's the most important thing Vogel's going to need. And it's not just LeBron. I mean, it starts with LeBron. You get buy-in from LeBron, you're going to get buy-in from everybody else. Because then you can mm-hmm. always just say, LeBron's doing it. Why the hell aren't you doing it? Right. You know, like this is one of the best players of all time. You're not going to do this? <laughs> like, okay, you're not going to play. You know, and it, and, it, and it keeps kind of everybody accountable. You know, LeBron, he needs Anthony Davis's buy-in. He needs all these guys to buy in so that he can build this. 
and I think that's the most important thing he needs. I think after that, he needs Anthony Davis to be a beast defensively. He can do it. I have no doubt about it. Davis, you know, I throw out last season. Last season was such a, a weird year for him yeah. from the trade deadline to everything and all of that stuff. I throw that out. But the year before, he was a beast defensively, and he was paired up with DeMarcus Cousin, who is not a defensive player at all. Mm-hmm. You know, and I, so I know he can do this. I know he has that in him. And if they can unlock that and unleash that, you know, and, and get the buy-in from LeBron, they're going to have a damn good defense. I don't know if they'll have a top-five defense because they do have some guys who I have questions about. But, you know, when, you're, when your defensive guys raise their level, it kind of raises everybody else's level up a bit. And so if they can just go from being bad defenders to just being mediocre, mm-hmm. it improves the team. So I think that's something Vogel really has to focus in. But it goes back to everything we said early on is he's got to sell LeBron on on this. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I mean, I think it's going to be really interesting because we just don't know what that starting five is going to look like. And they have so many different options. Do you start Anthony Davis at the five or the four? He's come out and said he wants to play power forward. Okay. Who do you pair him next to? Do you put JaVale McGee or do you do DeMarcus Cousins, who, as you said, is not a great defensive player? If LeBron says he's going to be the nominal point guard and Danny Green is going to be the starting shooting guard, who do you put at quote-unquote small forward? Do you go with a conventional guy like a Kyle Kuzma and just go super big? Do you have a guy who can defend point guards in that starting lineup? Do you have to put in an Avery Bradley type just to have a smaller defender on the floor. So I think that's what I'm kind of watching for. Like when the preseason starts, I'm going to be really curious to see, all right, which five guys are starting for the Lakers? Because I know LeBron, Green, and and uh, Davis, those three guys I think are locks. But other than that, I have no idea. Yeah, and, and you know what? Vogel might not know. It might come down to position battle and training camp. You know, does mm-hmm. how does Avery Bradley look? coming back, you know, he had some injuries or whatever. I mean, he was terrible with the Clippers. Yeah. But, you know, is he going to come back and, and kind of try to revitalize his career a little bit? You know, is it uh, Caldwell Pope, you know, a guy who, who they're going to look at and things like that? It's, it's all of those things. I personally think I would bring Cousins off the bench. I think Cousins can really, I mean, reinvent himself. Yeah. As, a, as a guy coming off the bench and, and dominating the other team's second units. I think he can cause a lot of problems in those regards. And the other thing, too, that Vogel might have to sell Davis on is, man, there ain't no positions no more. Right. That's, right. that's it. We're playing positionless basketball, and that's how we're going to succeed. And I think the game is kind of going that way. I think players get very stuck in this, I'm a four. And mm-hmm. it's like, no, nah, man, you're a basketball player. <laughs> that's it right. you're a starter that's right, it right. like you're, the, the, the idea of you, you know I'm a four and this is that or I'm a five I'm like man you're going to have to defend fives at some point mm-hmm. it just it's going to happen so stop with this you know and to be honest we're not in the days anymore where it's Patrick Ewing banging you in the post Hakeem Olajuwon David Robinson Tim Duncan Shaq like you're not having to battle those guys anymore so I don't know why you got a trip. Most fives are trying to shoot threes. So you're not even having to worry about being in the post. I mean, really, the only guy you kind of got to worry about is Embiid. 
Right. I was, yeah, I was going to say, Cousins is like one of the only other ones, and now he's on your team. Yeah, and he's on your team, so you ain't got to worry about that either. Yeah, so, yeah. you know, I think it's uh, I think it's a notion that you just got to get guys on the same page. I hate when I hear, I'm a point guard, or I'm a, a, a four, not a five, or whatnot. I'm like, man, you're whatever the team needs you to be. Mm-hmm. You know, like, you want to win a championship? Cool. You have to sacrifice something. Yep. You know, everybody wants to win a championship on their terms, and those guys never win. They never do. You got to give up something. Mm-hmm. Chris Bosh had to give up a lot to become a championship player, and he flourished in that role. You know, same Kevin Love did. You know, all these guys. You don't get to win on your term unless you're the absolute great of the greats. Mm-hmm. And I think that's something all players have to learn. It's something uh, uh, Jeff Van Gundy said once. I don't know if he said it publicly or I just heard him say it in a speaking engagement or whatever. Uh, but he had said, you know, everybody always says, I'll do anything to win. Mm. Great. But what will you give up to win? Yeah. If I ask you to take five less shots and that's going to help us win, would you do that? You know, if I asked you to, you got to, you know, get dive on the floor three times a game, would you do that? You know, like mm-hmm. those are the things. Like, what are you going to give up? And what are you going to sacrifice to get you there? And that's something every team has to figure out, you know, and every player has to decide because that's where you you get to the next level. Very few guys get to say, no, I'm just going to do it my way and we'll be good. (laughs) Right, right. Yeah, and as you said, it's it's the LeBron-type players who could do that where you better be an all-time great if you're going to go in with that mentality. Absolutely. Yeah. Um. No, I think that the Lakers, like, I know, I'm sorry in advance to all of our listeners here, and really just all basketball fans everywhere, because they're going to be a big storyline again. And I know it gets tiresome year after year, you know, Lakers, 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 but they're frankly one of the more interesting stories this year, especially after what happened last year. Like, can LeBron James bounce back from one of his more disappointing seasons just in terms of team success? Can Anthony Davis bounce back after whatever the hell those last three months were in New Orleans? Like, it's a very fascinating subplot of this season. So, again, I apologize, but we are going to be talking about them a decent amount this year. I promise we'll spend at least five minutes at one point talking about the Phoenix Suns, too. Get to Old Navy for the biggest sale of the year. Up to 60% off all back-to-school styles for kids and baby. Get flip-flops for 2 bucks, graphic tees for 4 bucks, shorts for $6, and jeans for $8. Right now, get the best kids' styles at kid-size prices. Just 2 4 6 and $8. Can't wait to wear it? Buy online and pick up in-store free today. Up to 60% off all kids and baby styles now at Old Navy and OldNavy.com. Valid 729 to 811. Select styles. Excludes in-store And now, an ad from Dad. All right, save money on car insurance when you bundle home and auto with Progressive. Can I take these off? All right. What is this? This looks good. Wow. That's well made. Where did you get this? I'm talking to you with the hair. Yeah, where did you get this? It's good stuff. That's solid. That's not veneer. That's solid stuff. Progressive can't save you from becoming your parents, but we can save you money when you bundle home and auto. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company affiliates and other insurers. Discounts not available in all states or situations. I do want to end because, again, you have the background with the Clippers. The Clippers also made some gigantic changes this season, and they're entering the season prohibitively as the title favorite. If you're planning against them right now, what's your big concern with the Clippers roster, or do you have one? I think 
I would, my goal would be I'm going to attack them at the rim mm-hmm. as much as I can. I don't think they have a shot blocker. And you know that the need of a shot blocker is a little bit different now. You don't need a guy that can specifically block shots, but you need a guy that can deter people from getting into the, to the paint and wanting to attack the rim. But I think that's an area where they'll have problems. Now, it's going to be damn hard getting into the paint with the guys <laughs> they have when they're fully healthy. Right. You know, and if they find a way to get Iguodala, God help you. Um, You know, they're going to give you headaches. I think that's the first thing I would look at is can I attack them there? And then on the other end on offense, I want to try to make it so that Kawhi is not guarding the ball very often. Mm. I'm I'm of the theory that Kawhi is not a great off-ball defender. Um, I don't think he does a great job rotating as much. And I think that's something I would try to kind of keep him you know, guarding the guy in the corner or whatever. And, and it, it might suck. It's kind of like a, a good cornerback taking your best receiver out and he's on, mm-hmm. you know, Revis Island or whatever. <laughs> right. You know, and, and you got to hope your other four guys are good enough to attack their four guys. Who, by the way, two of them are still damn good defenders and Paul George and uh, uh, Patrick Beverly. So I think, you know, you, you have that stuff. I think it's a, they're going to provide a lot of headaches, but they also got to figure out how they make things work. You know, uh, offensively, you know, Kawhi's not a, a creator offensively. He's a ball dominator guy, and he's he's going to dominate the ball and, and score a lot. And he's going to make passes, but it's after he's exhausted the option to score. And it's not a matter of just selfishness. It's just he's just that damn good. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think it makes it interesting. You know, Paul George is going to have to figure out how to make that work. Luckily, he's had practice with Westbrook in that regard so it 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 helps you know but then i find things that are kind of interesting because it's like i can't you know Kawhi is gonna play you know if they play with shamit shamit they like to use like jj reddick running around off screens and things like that i'm not sure Kawhi wants all that you know if we Mm -hmm. saw in toronto it wasn't like they ran a ton of off ball stuff when he had the ball they just kind of spread out Mm -hmm. Uh, and so it kind of gets interesting in those things and, and that's the stuff they have to think about but these are fantastic problems to have. Right. <laughs> you know, like it's a trip when you say, wow, the Clippers are, you know, title favorites. It's like, wow, that's yeah, something yeah. that's a whole different, you know, like my mind's just blown in that sense. So it's a, it gets interesting in that regard. So it's going to be, uh, it's going to be amazing to see, you know, it's going to take a while. Uh, Paul George, it sounds like he's going to miss training camp and a good number of games in the regular season with his, shoulder surgery so you know it's not just a clean clear road for them they got mm-hmm. make sure they figure out health issues and load management stuff and and all the fun things that go along with having guys like Kawhi Leonard and Paul George right yeah I mean I I would not bet on them to have the best record in the regular the regular season especially in the west I think you know once the playoffs come around if they're all healthy they would probably be my pick to come out of there but you're right I mean they do have I they're not last year's warriors or who we thought last year's warriors were healthy last year's warriors i guess where they're just so so dominant that this is a preordained championship for them there's no point to the regular season they do look they i think top to bottom they probably have the best roster in the nba especially as you said i mean yes their front court defense looks like a vulnerability they just don't have like unless you're super high on zubach taking a big leap you know, Jamichael Green and Montrez Harrell are both good players, but they're not going to inspire the fear of a Rudy Gobert or a Joel Embiid in there. 
But <laughs> that said, as and as you mentioned, good luck getting it through Paul George, Kawhi Leonard, Patrick Beverly. So, yeah, it's a it's a challenge. You know, it's going to be fun to watch this defense and then build this defense as they go forward. You know, the it's going to be fun watching the battle of LA mm-hmm. to a degree. You know, it's a little bit they're a little bit handicapped in that regard when it comes to the battle of LA, just because this is always going to be a Laker town, right? There's just not it's just history, but there's plenty of room for them. Mm-hmm. You know, there's plenty of room for them to kind of dominate and be really good and get their fan base. And it will be fun having a rivalry. And I think it's going to, those games are going to be a lot of fun when, you know, if both teams are fully healthy going in, you know, you're, you're going to have fun. LA is going to be a trip, you know, in, in that regard, there's, there's going to be interesting storylines out of that. And it's just going to be fun, man. Like, you know, they'll, they'll never overtake the Lakers like that. We, we need to stop with that thing. Like even when the Clippers were good and the Lakers were bad, the Lakers still did better numbers than the Clippers. It's just this is, they're an LA institution, you know, right, right. from from the '80s. So it's never going to change, and you know they are going to win over more young fans and things like that. But in the long run, always going to be a Laker town. But right now, it's a toss-up. Right now, it's fun. Let's let's have these battles and let's let's let them go at it. I love Bomber going the way he's going, building an arena, getting away from the Lakers' shadow, and kind of just turning things up and I think it's going to be it's good for the NBA it's good for both these teams and it's going to be great for the fans it's going to be great for us as media members uh for I mean there's going to be plenty of stories for us to to kind of dig into uh in general so I think it's just going to be a fun fun battle between the two teams for sure yeah I mean it might work out best for that way anyway because it seems like Kawhi you know, we, we don't still don't know that much about who he is as a person, but it seems like he enjoys kind of staying somewhat under the radar, out of the limelight. And if you have LeBron James and Anthony Davis in the same city on the Lakers soaking up all of that attention, the Clippers, you know, especially if Paul George misses games and Kawhi does load management and they aren't, you know, a 70 win team, maybe they win low 50s, high 40s, somewhere around there. They'll just kind of lurk under the radar the whole year, and then they can come out in the playoffs and kill everyone. But not but, even not even that. They could be really good, and if the Lakers struggle, they will still lurk under the radar because everybody's going to be going after the Lakers. We're like, why are you struggling? Right. And it's going to be Vogel watch, and oh, you know, man. and we're going to be watching that relationship between Vogel and LeBron, and what's Jay Kidd doing? And <laughs> like, there's going to be a whole bunch of things, you know, if if they struggle out of the gate. If the Clippers struggle out of the gate, people are just going to be like, oh, it didn't work out, or you got to give them time. Right. But right. they're not going to give, and that's the difference, they're not going to give the Lakers any benefit of time. Yeah. You know, and they will have to. It's it's, it's going to take time. It's a sure, process. Sure. It's um, the regular season's like baking a cake. Mm. You know, you got to get the ingredients together. You put them all together, and you, you got to put it in the oven and just hopefully watch it rise. <laughs> you know, and if it and if it's and if it doesn't and it deflates, you're like, ah, oh, crap, you know, or whatnot. So there's a bunch of things that go into it. So because um, <clears throat> it's a new team, both teams are brand new. Right. Um, actually, that's not true. The Clippers have a new, probably new starters, but their bench is fully intact. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's still a new dynamic. They're going to have to figure these things out. You know, the what made the Clippers so fun last year was they didn't have a star. Right. They were just that fun, gritty team that everybody loved. Well, now they got two stars. What happens now? Are yeah. they still going to be fun and gritty, or are they going to kind of be diva-ish? 
and whatnot. We'll see. Who knows? Right, right. And then the Lakers, I mean, I don't have the number offhand, but I would assume they have at least like eight or nine new rotation guys. Like they overturned almost all of their roster. I mean, they only they only had four guys. Or they only brought back three guys, I think, from last year in, in LeBron. Um, five. KCP, LeBron, Rondo, Kuzma, and Caruso. Right. Yeah, right. Caruso we're using loosely. Right, <laughs> right, right. So they brought back five guys. It's a whole new team. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's a good way, it's a good note that, especially early in the regular season, we saw it with Houston last year, too. They didn't even change that much, but, you know, they started 11 and 14. We all have the what's wrong with Houston panic, and then they come, you know, roaring back, get the fourth seed only because of a weird tiebreaker, still push the Warriors to six. Like, everyone holster your panic until at least December, at least Christmas. We we panic as a whole the second something goes wrong. Yeah. And it's like, yo, this isn't healthy, guys. <laughs> uh, a, great, a great example, um, I was with the Clippers. This was... Uh, under Vinny Del Negro, it was Vinny's last year. We had a new owner in, uh, uh, we had Sterling, but his son-in-law was around a lot more. Mm. Um, and his son-in-law was great. Was nothing like Sterling was a fantastic guy. Um, and we're in Portland and he'd watch games with me. And this is early in the season. This is like November and he's freaking out. <laughs> like he's going nuts. Oh, no. And I'm looking at him and I'm like, yo, we have like 70 more games. <laughs> like you need to chill out. Like I go like, I'm going to be honest with you. This isn't even that bad. I said, you're going to watch games this year where our guys are going to mail it in mm-hmm. and we're going to get blown out by 25 and you're going to be furious. I said, but understand this is the way the season goes. You're going to have these ups and downs. And it's sometimes it's even in the biggest game where you think these guys are going to show up. It's a Christmas day game and they should show up and they should be pumped and fired up. But for whatever reason, they just don't have it that day and you get your ass right. beat and it's like you know and i and i told you and on the flip side there are going to be nights where the other team is going to mail it in and we're going to kick their ass yeah doesn't mean we're 25 points better than them doesn't mean they're 25 points better than us you know it's just a night by night basis so you know we tend to panic very quickly mm-hmm. you know if a team starts out you know zero and five it's it's oh my god the world's falling we're we're we're, we're dying we're not going to make the playoffs like yeah right, there's 77 right. more games you know like there's a long season it's a long stretch it's a it's a marathon not a sprint and yeah. so you kind of got to break it up that way so uh i'm imploring people not to panic right away mm-hmm. i know it's not going to help and everybody's going to freak out right away but of course you know course. There, and there are times where you can look at it going like oh no this definitely isn't going to work and we'll all know right away mm-hmm. on some of these situations but those situations, you just got to give it time and let it play out. You know, I'm a big fan of just, hey, man, just let it play out. Let's see what happens. Let it all let it all happen. Right. And right. then and then see, because at a certain point, there's nothing you can do. Yeah. You know, yeah. once once the once the ball goes up in the air, man, the die has been cast. Yeah. Yeah. You just got to go play. There's not much you can do beyond it. Yeah, no, I mean, it's a really good point. I, I remember back in, it was 2010, 2011, the first year of the new Heatles, they start out 9-8, and eight. everyone's calling for Spoh's head, everyone's saying this isn't going to work, they make four straight finals, win two titles. It, it's a good, I mean, it's definitely something to remember and keep in mind, you know, right now in the dead point of the summer, this is coming, we know it's coming, but cognitively, we recognize we should not panic 
just I mean, the, the teams that approach the regular season like a science experiment where they know, you know, we have 82 games to figure out which combinations work best. We're not just going to run the same stuff over and over again. We're going to try to tinker and see like, OK, maybe this five man combination works better than this one. Those are the teams that are best equipped for success. Right. And it's just a matter of like, you got to play these guys. You got to right. experiment. Right. You know, the what I used to always say about pop resting, you know, the Tim, Manu and those guys, obviously, besides the value of giving those guys rest, it also let him know what he had in guys. Mm-hmm. You know, he got to see what Jonathan Simmons can do. He got to see what Patty Mills can do in these situations. He's putting these guys in different situations in the point that it's like, I don't know who's going to be healthy come playoff time. I might have to call on Jonathan Simmons to do something or a Davis Bertans or whatever. You know, it's, it's, it's all of those things are all, there's a value to it, Mm -hmm. you know, and and we might hate it because we live and die by every game, (laughs) you know, and we, we analyze it. I sit down and I, you know, in a coffee shop and for an entire day and break down a game, Yeah, you know, you, you, you're going through and analyzing things, but at the same time, some of these things have provide a bigger meaning down the road. Mm-hmm. You know, a, a, a loss in December is fine if it leads to a win in May. Yeah. You know, and, and, and that kind of stuff is is the stuff that we don't think about, but a coach has to. Right. You know, and right. you, you got to give these guys reps because more importantly, a coach has got to know what he, what he has in a guy. You know, DJ Wilson's a great example in Milwaukee, right? He, they played him some in the regular season. I saw people upset he wasn't playing in the playoffs. There was something Bud saw in, in, in Wilson's play where he thought, you know what, he's not ready for these moments yet. Mm-hmm. So he didn't play him. Right or wrong, that was the assessment Bud made. But he gave him time to, to at least check it out and see. And I think that's something, you know, the regular season is to a degree for experimenting. You know, once you kind of, if you're the Warriors, like last year, and you have your team fully set and you know what you guys are, you get to play around a little more and, 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 and tweak a few things and see, like, hey, maybe if we play this guy a little bit, it'll help or whatnot. So I think that's kind of part of the whole game. Yeah, I, I think that's a, a great way to end this episode and something like great insight to keep in mind, especially as you panic on November 5th about your team being 4 and 8 or whatever it ends up being. I have no patience. If anybody's panicking around that point, that's where I'm going to be upset and be like, dude, relax. Yeah, yeah. And then remind me when the Sixers lose game one of their first round series next year to just re-listen to this podcast as well. I'm just going to screenshot our first conversation <laughs> back then and just send it to you and just be like, leave me alone. Right. Please, please do that because I know it's coming. But <laughs> in the meantime, Mo, thank you so much for joining us today. I think this was really, this is great insight into how all this stuff works. And it's it's always good to hear from someone who has been behind the scenes and, you know, seen it firsthand. So thank you for coming on one more time. Let our listeners know where they can find your tw- on you find you on Twitter and where they can find your work. Again, uh, Brian, thank you so much for having me. More, I'm a little disappointed, even though he had a kid, decided not to show up. You know, <laughs> screw, screw that guy. Uh, you could you could find me on Twitter at Mo Dakeel, uh, M-O-D-A-K-H-I-L, underscore NBA. And it's the underscore. Don't spell out underscore, although that'd be kind of funny. Uh, <laughs> underscore NBA. Uh, that's where you can find me, and that's I post all my stuff from there. Good stuff, yeah. Please follow Mo. I'm telling you, his video breakdowns are one of a kind. You'll learn a lot 
and he'll talk you out of panicking in mid-November or the first week of don't April. Don't offer week. that to everybody. I'm not doing this for all of you, okay? I Don't come at me with your panics. I don't have time for that. I'm just going to tell you now. Relax, good, okay? Good. Good, a, a good motto to live by. So, uh, in the meantime, please follow us on Twitter at the NBA Pod. You can find our Twitter handles in our bio as well. You can also find us on iTunes wherever else podcasts are hosted. On iTunes, please subscribe, download, leave some five star reviews, and we're now being hosted on Spreaker. So check them out on Twitter at Spreaker. Until next time, I'm Brian Tapork, and I was joined today by Mo Dakil. Mo, thank you. We will definitely have you back when more is uh, a little less tied up by family obligations. Nope, not coming back all with more. <laughs> I'm kidding, of course. Anytime you guys want me, I'm, I'll, I'll be available. Good, man. Thank you, and hopefully you get some time off. I doubt it. <laughs> all right, well, take it easy, Bob. The Starlight Lounge presents An Evening with the Progressive Box. The moon, yeah. That's Hugo, tickling the ivories. He just saved by bundling home and auto with Progressive. Gonna finally buy a ring for that gal of yours, Hugo? Send her my condolences. Hi-oh! This next one's for you, too. There's a burglar in my heart. Thank you. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Discounts not available in all states or situations. Of all the sounds you'll hear this summer... This might be your new favorite. They're blending up the new chocolate chip iced cap at Tim Hortons. Real chocolate chips blended into an iced cap for a sweet summer treat. It's Tim Hortons frozen take on a cappuccino. And it just might be the best sound of summer. Hurry into Tim Hortons for the new chocolate chip iced cap. Limited time at participating restaurants.